always been a rebel from deep down in the south. I get in my share of trouble for what comes out of my mouth. Well, I call them like I see them, and maybe I come on too strong. Well, you got your opinion and the right to say I'm wrong. But that's the way I am, what you see is what you get I'm a free-thinking bear, drinking politically incorrect redneck Man, it's been a while Now I don't hate nobody, I don't mean to stir things up But if I don't use the right words, I ain't sensitive enough You know, when you work for a living and you try to get a bunch of stuff done all at the same time Sometimes you get behind schedule and apologize for not getting a podcast out sooner. It's been a little over a month now, but that's okay. We're going to hit her back today. We're going to get back started again. So anyhow, I hope everybody's doing great. I hope you've uh, had a tremendous summer so far. Hoping you're staying healthy and uh, things are coming around. I am Jerry Schickling, the politically incorrect redneck. Got a lot of things to talk about. Uh, so many things that are almost outdated at this point as information flies through so quick anymore. But uh, some of the stuff I'm going to go over, you've probably already heard of before. We're going to chat about it a little bit and uh, update some of it from when I was originally going to try to uh, put a podcast together a week or so ago. But anyhow, folks, they're lying to you. That's pretty much it. Plain and simple, they're lying to you. The government's lying to you. The media's lying to you, the majority of it. And uh, there's so much misinformation out there. And here's the funny part. They're the ones deciding to give you the misinformation, and they're censoring other alternative information that people need to make wise choices for themselves, their families, their futures. So we're going to talk about that some today. Uh, we're going to cover a couple different things. Well, y'all, y'all heard back, well, was, Jesus, back about July 15th, uh, the New York Post had put out an article about the White House's uh, flagging posts for Facebook to censor uh, COVID, quote-unquote, misinformation. Well, uh, well, the article pretty much says that the White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said Thursday, the Biden administration is identifying problematic, quotes, uh, posts for Facebook to censor. Okay, the White House is telling Facebook what to censor. Great. They contain, quote-unquote, misinformation about COVID-19. Psaki disclosed the government's role, again, the government's role in policing social media. Since when is it their role to police anything? Okay. Talk about, here it comes, folks. Here we go. But again, Saki disclosed the government's role in policing social media during her daily press briefing after Surgeon General Vivek Murthy called on companies to purge more pandemic posts. In other words, the Ministry of Truth is here. The Ministry of Truth is here. George Orwell 1984. The demand for censorship and Saki's admission of government involvement follows a series of flip-flops, or excuse me, a series of flip-flops from health officials who contradicted themselves throughout the pandemic on issues such as MAC efficacy. Uh, We will be talking about that in a later segment, as well as censorship of claims that later gained credibility. There you go. Censorship of claims that later gained credibility. They weren't even allowed to be seen by the public. Or, to be honest, a majority of public doesn't want to see it. They're not willing to do their own due diligence to get their own information, make decisions based on the real science, not on what the politicians tell you 
that the science is, okay? Well, censorship of claims that later gained credibility, such as the theory that COVID-19 leaked from a Chinese lab. We know it did. They're lying about that, all right? And it's truth is coming out about that. Most of the times, everybody, as you know, the truth will come out in the end. People are so knee-jerk anymore. They believe the first headline they see, whether it's true or not, they believe what they hear via the quote, I guess you could use Facebook, Twitter, whatever they all are. It's all a bunch of crap, the, the way that they just do not allow other folks. You can get whatever information you want. This is still America. I know it's starting to lean towards America with a K. But there's information out there that you do not have to rely on on the media and the politicians to uh, to get this to you. I'm going to prove that to you later with some with some mask information. And here's another quote from the Post. It says, we are from Saki. We are in regular touch with social media platforms, and those engagements typically happen through members of our senior staff and also members of our COVID-19 team. Given, as Dr. Murthy conveyed, this is a big issue of misinformation, specifically on the pandemic, Saki said. Folks, they are lying to you. They're only letting you know what they want you to know, whether it's true or not. They're telling you what to believe. It's just, it's just unbelievable. Murthy said, we're asking social media companies to consistently take action against misinformation, super spreaders on their platforms. Well, guess what? They should be the ones banned because they are the ones spreading misinformation. And here's another. This, is, this makes you laugh. Misinformation takes away our freedom to make informed decisions about our health and the health of our loved ones during the COVID-19 pandemic. Health information has led people to resist wearing masks in high-risk settings. Folks, I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to uh, give you some info later masks don't work on the covid virus you can wear one if you want you be you if it makes you feel safe wear it but by me or other folks not wearing a mask it does not help or slow down the spread of a virus all right it's that simple and he also said the health misinformation has led to them to turn down proven treatments and to choose not to get vaccinated. This has led to avoidable illnesses and deaths. Yeah, right. Okay. Saki added, the government has been in close contact with the social media companies about information. Why is the White House even in touch with these people? And why are these people in touch with the White House? Kind of sounds like a tag team effort to me to push certain things that people in a free country want to reject. Other health officials initially discouraged wearing masks. Imagine that. Surgeon General Jerome Adams asserted in a now-deleted tweet that masks were not effective at protecting people from COVID-19 before later saying that they were effective. It just depends on how they want to control you. And that is what it's about, like I mentioned, though, maybe the last episode. This isn't about health, people. It's about control. They are trying to control you. And every little piece of liberty you give up, it's very, very hard to gain it back. Uh, Facebook this year stopped censoring posts that claim COVID-19 may have emerged from the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China due to evolving information that bolstered the theory. Maybe you should have listened to the truth earlier. What about that? You know, social media networks have censored other posts before backtracking. Hmm, imagine that. Notably, including Facebook and Twitter censoring the post, which would be the New York Post, reporting in October of documents from a laptop formerly belonging to Hunter Biden that appeared to link father his father, to business pursuits in China and Ukraine. Yep, that's it. They're only telling you what they want you to believe, not necessarily what's the truth. And she added that we've increased disinformation research and tracking within the Surgeon General's office. We are flagging problematic posts for Facebook that spread disinformation. Now, it's just spreading information they don't want you to have. Saki and Murthy, who also spoke at the press briefing, specifically said they are concerned about 
misinformation about COVID-19 vaccines. More and more information is coming out about the vaccines, too, as, uh, as time progresses. So with that being said, let's have a little clip from Miss Saki the Liar. In terms of actions, Alex, that uh, we have taken or we're working to take, I should say, from the federal government, uh, we've increased uh, disinformation research and tracking uh, within the Surgeon General's office. We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook uh, that spread disinformation. We're working with doctors and medical professionals to connect uh, to connected medical experts with popular with popular who are popular with their audiences with uh, with accurate information and boost trusted content. So we're helping get trusted content out there. We we also created the COVID-19, the COVID Community Corps to get factual information into the hands of local messengers. And we're also investing, uh, as you all have seen, in the presidents, the vice presidents, and Dr. Fauci's time in meeting with influencers who also have large reaches to a lot of these target audiences who can spread and share accurate information. Yeah, and I wonder if the uh, person that was coughing in the background had their mask on. Didn't sound like it was muffled by a mask to me. You know, just just a, just a thought. But listen to this: the White House is working with big tech companies to give you the only the information they want you to hear and a big chunk of that information that they want you to see here read whatever isn't even factual but it is the ministry of truth after all it is the ministry of truth that is the uh, the politicians and the Biden administration of today and uh, going down this same route about the misinformation back in uh, this is back in earlier in July the epic times had a feature article titled nurse blows the whistle on the medical industry and quote they're not offering informed consent and this uh, article is by Jessica Marie Baumgartner and here's a little bit out of that article. It says, last week, America's Frontline Doctors, which is AFLDS, came to speak in Kansas City, Missouri. AFLDS founder Dr. Simone Gold brought her message that COVID-19 is nothing to fear and there are treatments available. Now, okay, nothing to fear. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we do have a virus. It is out there. It has been out there. And guess what, folks? It ain't going away. We're going to have to live with this thing just like we have to live with the flu. It's here to stay. There's just ways to treat it and uh, and ways to um, work your way through it. Ninety, roughly 98 plus percent survival rate of folks that do get it. So it's being blown way out of proportion. I know if you know someone that had it or have passed away from it or with it, okay, there's a big difference in the numbers of people that died, quote unquote, from COVID and those that died, quote unquote, with COVID. They intermingle those numbers to make it to have an inflated number of actual deaths from the uh, from the virus. So uh, you got to take that with a grain of salt too, because we're not getting factual information about all that stuff. Uh, this lady, I remember back when they were first talking about uh, hydroxychloroquine and how it is a treatment for it, and which it, it is proven now that yes, it is a, uh, a viable treatment for COVID mixed with some vitamin D and some zinc and some other things. Okay, I'm not going to go into that right now. But at the start of, this, uh, of the pandemic, Dr. Simone was fired for speaking out in support of the anti-malaria medication, which of course, again, is hydroxychloroquine and further known as HCQ. Okay. And at the time, President Trump was praising the effectiveness of the drug, but short Shortly after, the FDA revoked the emergency use authorization for it. Now, recent studies, here we go again, are confirming that low-dose hydroxychloroquine combined with zinc and erythromycin is an effective therapeutic approach against COVID-19. The TDS people, that whether they're politicians or the media, 
they any, anything that Donald Trump said was wrong, even though typically down the road he has been proven right on just about everything that he has said. Okay, about this stuff, they instant if it, whatever he said or did, they went 180 degrees because that's all that mattered. There was no science involved in a lot of decisions. It was all whatever Trump says bad, whatever uh, liberals and Marxists say good. And now, isn't it funny? Initially, when the vaccine was coming out, our wonderful, brilliant president, commander in chief, said uh, it was a, totally against it for one reason, one reason only, is because Donald Trump is the one that got it, things the ball rolling on it, and the same thing with our, our our beautiful and elegant vice president who uh, said that if vaccine was because of Donald Trump, if he told her to take it, she was not going to take it. Didn't matter that he wasn't in a lab coat do, developing the vaccine, that all these other companies, which is what they do, were developing the vaccine. It didn't matter. As long as Trump's name was attached to it, they weren't doing it. But now go go uh, into the, you know, the last January, all of a sudden now it's the best thing to do. We're going to force it on you, actually. We're going to mandate that you have this thing. But, you know, six months ago, or well, let's say 12 months ago, everything was like, boy, we wouldn't trust it. We wouldn't do a darn thing. So it's a joke. Okay. And uh, the vaccine talking points from this nurse and, and further into this article, uh, the Epic Times, uh, this actually, they interviewed Sarah Absher, and she is a registered nurse who worked in the field for eight years, but she quit uh, earlier this spring and decided to volunteer with AFLDS after what she had actually witnessed as her passion for medical freedom fight and offered previously unseen materials to support her claim. In other words, she had some truth and facts and evidence, but they didn't want to hear it because it was against the narrative that controlling type want to implement on you. And she puts it this way con uh, concerning vaccine talking points, which is pretty much what the media and the government do. They get talking points out there and then over and over and over and in your face, you know, tell a lie enough times, enough people will believe it is true. And that's where we're at with pretty much all of this propaganda that they're putting out. Uh, she's quoted here that we all feel like we saw things that were not right, meaning her and folks in the uh, medical industry. But physicians were all about reputation and with today's cancel culture, they, the patients, are looking at us and trusting what we're saying. And there was this unspoken line at my job. If I had deviated from the narrative, that's why I left. When we received vaccine talking points, can't deviate from those vaccine talking points. And she pointed out that she's not against vaccines. She's gotten every vaccine except this one. But the more they push it, the more it repels me. Amen, sister. It just makes me realize that the public has a fundamental lack of understanding of what clinical trials are. And she later described her frustration with how COVID-19 has been handled. And this is another quote. At the very beginning of all this, we didn't know. All right. I granted everybody. That's where we were. OK, but it's OK to say we got it wrong. But doctors, especially young doctors, have trouble admitting when they make a mistake. And nurses, we often have to tell them just to be honest and admit it. She explained why she left the profession. Quote, our job as medical professionals is to reel in the terror, but with COVID-19, they were encouraging it. And then she also says that medicine has become unrecognizable. Getting back to the use of controversial treatments like HCQ, she noted, it's not just HCQ and ivermectin, but there are plenty of treatments that are encouraging. What's so unique about COVID is that it didn't matter if the drug worked anymore. Medicine as a profession has become unrecognizable. She then noted how this drove her to join AFLDS and quote, you can be a darling of the left one day, but if you deviate, you get attacked the next. And I know we need to hold ourselves to a higher standard because we're dealing with people's lives. And then she pointed out that in India, when they stopped using anti-malarials like HCQ, 
that's when the big spike hit with COVID. And when questioning why the first world is doing so poorly, but Africa is not, Africa is doing better because they take HCQ once a week to prevent malaria. So they had basically no deaths. So there you go. Because H, and here, as some of you know, uh, hydroxychloroquine is also relatively, well, it is, it's inexpensive. And it's been around for almost 50 years and approved year, you know, that long ago. And people have been taking it to combat different viruses uh, throughout the, you know, the last half century. But they were, because Donald Trump said that this might be a, a, an effective treatment for the virus. Well, because he said it, bingo. Nope, that's got to be wrong. We got to shut it down. I think it was uh, Governor Nevada or Nebraska back when the, when the COVID was really reeling about a year or so ago, uh, about a year ago. And uh, he, he basically would uh, outlaw the use of it for people. I mean, and tell me that follows any facts. All right, these people are sick. These are sick, sick, controlling bastards is what they are. This wraps this up with medical professionals like Absher who speaks out against the narrative get canceled and information about them gets censored. But she does hope that in coming forward, others will speak out. And that's what it's all about. It's about controlling you. That's that's completely what it's about. They're lying to you, folks. They are lying to you. It's totally about controlling people. That's what Marxism is. It's about the collective. It's not about the individual. And mandating that you inject yourself with a concoction. If you want the vaccine, get the vaccine. If you don't, you should have the right to reject it. And this vaccine passports and all this stuff. Oh, if you guys don't... <laughs> As they say, if you ignore history, we will choose to repeat it. There's information out there that they're not allowing, quote unquote, people to hear. And so you folks, you need to do your research. You need to get your head out of the media, get your head away from, from TV and all that stuff. There's so much information available to counter what just, if, uh, probably bad to say it this way, but if the government's telling you it, there's a real good chance there's a real good chance it's probably false. Uh, typically, the truth is 180 degrees off of what if the media is pressing for it, if they're propagandizing the news, there's a good chance that uh, uh, the, the truth is 180 degrees out of face from what they're telling you. There was a uh, another article. Now, this kind of goes back to the same thing about who's, who is approving the information you're receiving. And this got mentioned a little bit ago about uh, the Hunter Biden laptop. But from the Federalist in July, uh, this is back in 16th of July, U.S. Department of Justice officials deliberately delayed, deliberately delayed an investigation into Hunter Biden's potential tax law violations and sketchy overseas business dealings because the effect it could have on the presidential election, according to a Politico report. And Politico is left wing as it gets. All right. And so here we go. Who's giving who are you believing? Who are you believing? Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss allegedly postponed allowing prosecutors to obtain search warrants and issue grand jury subpoenas last summer after facing pressure from other officials who feared the investigation's influence on the 2020 presidential election and now Joe Biden's campaign. They advised him to avoid taking any action that could alert the public to the existence of the case in the middle of a presidential election. In other words, they don't want the truth out there. Okay. One of the many corporate media outlets that brushed off the possibility of any wrongdoing by Hunter despite the discovery of his incriminating laptop. Weiss first assumed his position as a U.S. attorney in 2017 after former President Donald Trump nominated him. As noted by Politico, the nomination was based on the recommendation of Delaware's two Democrat senators who both praised the choice. Of course they would. The attorney has deep ties previously engaging and even leading a long list of investigations in President Biden's home state of Delaware and on a national level, 
even connected to the infamous Ukrainian energy firm Burisma, with which Hunter Biden was involved. Shortly after his nomination, Weiss began to explore Hunter's roguish business dealings with Chinese businessmen possibly linked to the communist regime. The probe originally focused on a possible money laundering and violations of the Foreign Agents Registration Act, but later shifted to questioning whether Hunter had paid taxes on all of his income. When the time came for more formal exploratory measures into Hunter's dealings, however, Weiss declined to take any drastic actions that were likely to make the existence of the Hunter Biden probe public because he feared political scrutiny and giving many of then-presidential Donald Trump supporters what they were looking for. You mean, like, facts? Truth? Things like that. Oh, my gosh, we wouldn't want that to get out, would we? Quote, concerns about affecting the presidential election loomed large when Weiss entertained arguments about advancing the probe, according to the person involved in the discussions. No matter what he did, the decision was sure to come under scrutiny for signs of politicization, Politico reported. So there you go. Who are you going to believe? The folks who are pushing out false narratives and lies and censoring any truth coming out? Or are you going to believe yourself? Folks, you need do your research. Okay, I guess that's the bottom line. Do your research. The, the main media, mainstream media, whatever you want to call them, they're a joke. They're nothing but propaganda for the leftists, and they have been forever. It's just never been more evident than it is right now. And then here's a uh, something else on this same line, which kind of leads to more and more takeover of government control of everything. All right, this is by uh, Lee Williams. He's also known as the gunwriter and talks about the rise of American secret police force. Okay, this ought to send chills, everybody. This ought to send chills. And Lee writes that law enforcement is a state right. Our founders knew that concentrating too much power in any one federal agency, especially a law enforcement agency, could lead to a tyrannical secret police state. It was one of their greatest fears. After all, they knew a thing or two about tyranny, and it was something they wanted to avoid at all costs. And that's why they developed the Constitution and the Bill of Rights as they did. Now, here's the, the thing about federal agencies. They're all subject to the Federal Freedom of Information Act, the FOIA Act. All federal law enforcement agencies keep the public informed of their activities, all except one. If you want to create a secret police force, the U.S. Capitol Police would be a good choice. Since they're already halfway there, the agency has scant oversight, is shrouded in secrecy, and refuses to change. And if you look at the January 6th, hearings, quote-unquote, that they're having now, uh, the kangaroo court, you can see that they are not allowing folks that want to testify opposite of what you're being led to believe. That's not happening. So they're not responsible for anything. The United States Capitol Police Force is part of the legislative branch, which is exempt from FOIA requirements because they report to Congress. The USCP believes they too are exempt from FOIA. And Lee says here, I should point out, by the way, that comparison that even the CIA is subject to FOIA. Additionally, the USCP, which is the United States Capitol Police, publishes no annual reports, and even the findings of its own inspector general are kept secret and not made public. The mission of the USCP is to protect the Congress, its members, employees, visitors, and facilities so it can fulfill its constitutional and legislative responsibilities in a safe, secure, and open environment. That's a quote. So you would think that the agency would focus enforcement efforts in Washington, D.C., but that's no longer the case. The Congress is now seeking to nationalize the USCP by creating field offices in different states. Two field offices are planned for now, but more are coming. Secret police force. Door knocking. We want to check your COVID status. We want to give you the jab. Okay. Here's a couple of things about the USCP. They operate in secret. They're not accountable to the public. They have very little oversight given its personal relationship with Congress. 
They have a history of operating outside of its scope, such as making drug arrests off capital grounds. They will soon be operating in many states with a mandate that's nebulous at best. If you add all these factors together, you end up with a secret police force that is ripe for abuse, a team of modern-day witch hunters willing to do whatever the politicians in charge desire. And here, that, and like Lee mentioned, folks, they have no accountability. Nobody knows. You can't even go in and find out the information. You can't see what they did. It comes down to who they consider a threat. Okay? You speak out against COVID vaccines. You speak out against masks. You speak out against the government in general. Knock, knock, knock. It's happened before, people. It's happened before. Even though they don't want you to learn or, or remember history, it's happened before. Oh, it can't happen here. You guys are nuts. You're conspiracy, crazy, whack jobs. No. We look at history. We look at truth. And he uh, goes on to write, Lee does, that we all know that the Biden-Harris administration and the Democrat congressional leaders think of gun owners. Yes, we do. Once you disagree with their gun confiscation plans, you're labeled a violent extremist. Are we now going to become the subject of secret police investigations? Will our calls, emails, and get-togethers be monitored? Are our civil rights up for violating? How would we even know? You can't FOIA the USCP for documents bearing your name like you can the FBI and local law enforcement. Monitoring your emails, monitoring your text messages. You don't think some of that can happen? You don't think they can do that without you knowing? <laughs> it's it, time to wake up, people. Time to wake up. And the sad part is that this whole crazy scheme isn't even necessary because local law enforcement is handled best by local officers, certainly not secret federal police. The bottom line is this, America was founded on personal freedoms and individual liberties. We certainly don't need to create an American version of the KGB, Stasi, or Machabaret. If you think this is too far-fetched it can't happen here, I was just talking about this, wait till one of Joe Biden's door-to-door goons asks to see your vaccine passport. Maybe that will change your mind. All right. And here he goes. I think this came up just a little bit ago. Lee finishes out writing, Nowadays it seems Orwell got nearly everything right except the title, which he only missed by 37 years. For those of you with uh, general public education, that means 1984, just so uh, you tell you that. So there's just a couple illustrations of the government and the media teaming up with big tech to not only censor information, but censor factual information and feeding you nothing but lies and propaganda, as well as creating secret police force. It's already there, but now they're trying to implement that throughout the states, which is uh, definitely going to be challenged in the courts and a violation of the Constitution because the federal government does not belong in local policing. All right. But just to wrap this segment up, take a little bit of humor, but as I said before, uh, every good humor has an element of truth in it. Uh, This is uh, J.P. Sears. He is a great, he's just funny guy. He's a comedian. He's from out of Texas, and he has Awaken with JP YouTube clip here, and I just think this is kind of funny. So uh, have a listen to JP. You can click his link, uh, all these links of all these articles, of course, and um, uh, in this video from JP is a, will be at the uh, website politicallyincorrectredneck.com or teampir.com. So any of this stuff you want to look at yourself, I highly recommend go to these articles, read these articles that we're going to be covering here later on as well, and have a look at JP. This is a, a, a funny video, but the sad thing is there's so much truth in it. Now we need to go to community by community, neighborhood by neighborhood, and oftentimes door to door, literally knocking on doors to get help to the remaining people protected from the virus. Can I help you? Oh, hi. 
I'm with the Biden administration. Do you have a minute for me to tell you about the non-FDA approved injection we desperately want you to get? Why the hell are you knocking on my door? I'll take that as a yes. We've been reviewing your medical records and it appears as though you haven't gotten the- That's illegal. Indeed. And what they show is you haven't gotten the shot yet. So I'm here on your private property to pressure you into doing so. Letting politicians decide what medicines I take is insane. You're not doctors, you're not even qualified. We're politicians, we like power, and we feel that qualifies us to do whatever we want. It absolutely doesn't. What I put in my body is my choice, and I'll consult my doctor over that because he knows me personally. Because it's a medical issue. No, ma'am. This is more of a political issue. You can trust us. You're part of the government, and you work for me. And you being here is a complete infringement on my rights. You need to read the Constitution. At the Biden administration, we don't believe in the Constitution. It's not really how we want to govern, so you need this shot. The fact that you really want me to get this thing makes you look really, really suspicious. Thank you. You don't even know the half of it. And the more you push this thing, the more I doubt the safety. Oh no. When you look at this spreadsheet with our profit margins, you'll see that what we're working with here is totally safe for business. And the long-term clinical trials of an hour and a half are squeaky clean. You have nothing to worry about. It seems like you just want control. For your protection, yes. Thank you for seeing, we're just looking out for your best interest with our propaganda campaign, censorship, and now me being here knocking on your door. You're welcome for all that we've been doing. Are people dumb enough to believe that? Some are. Now, I would really like to stab you with this needle and inject what's in it that you have no control over into your body. Absolutely not. I kind of just want to do it anyway. My body, my choice, you creep. That's not the way we see it. At the Biden administration, we look at it as your body, our choice. It's kind of a Bill Cosby-inspired mentality we've adopted. Get off my property now. Get the f*** off my property. No. I don't understand. Are you saying you don't want the shot that you've chosen not to get? Wait. While I'm here, do you mind if I confiscate all your guns? Go ahead and try. J.P. Sears. Got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. about why but first off uh, on this segment I got so cranked up in the previous segment that I forgot to mention a couple things you can find the podcast on uh, Podbean app Spotify Amazon Music Pandora TuneIn which is I believe also Alexa iHeartRadio we are still working on the Apple podcast which is formerly the iTunes just some goofy mix up with the submission artwork 
didn't go through or whatever it is, but we'll fix that one. And also check us out at politicallyincorrectredneck.com or teampir.com, redneckNation.us. So there's a couple places you can get in there, email us all of the articles that I referred to, all of the videos and the sound bites. They'll be available at the blog site there at politicallyincorrectredneck.com. So anyhow, as we get back to talking about why we must defend the Second Amendment, some research released June 1st of 2020 by the National Shooting Sports Foundation, the uh, NSSF, they adjusted the NICS figures that showed a year-over-year increase to 80% in March and 69% in April of 2020. That's an 80% increase in March and 69% in April. The strong increases led to more than 6.5 million NSSF adjusted background checks in the first four months of 2020, and that's up 48% from 4.4 million during the same period in 2019. And it says here that not surprisingly, retailers reported an increased number of first-time gun buyers, estimating that 40% of their sales were to this group. This is an increase of 67% over the annual average of 24% first-time gun buyers that retailers have reported in the past. Semi-automatic handguns were the primary firearm being purchased for first-time buyers, outpacing the second-most-purchased firearm shotguns by 2 to 1. And modern sporting rifles, you know, those terrible assault weapons, Uh, Revolvers and traditional rifles rounded out the top five types of firearms purchased by first-time gun buyers. And retailers noted that these new customers were spending $595 on an average sale, and 40% of first-time gun buyers in the first four months of 2020 were female. The main purchase driver among the group was personal protection, followed by target shooting and hunting. Also of note was that 25% of first-time buyers had already taken some form of firearm safety course, and 63% inquired about taking a firearms safety course in the near future. And what this uh, basically comes down to, more than 2.5 million new gun owners in a very short period of time. And the 2021 uh, numbers aren't uh, haven't been released by the NSF yet, but past NSF research has shown that in order to keep these new owners active and avoid them becoming lapsed participants, they will need information on topics such as how to safely own, operate, and secure their new purchase. And additionally, these new gun owners will need an invitation to go to the range or to the field to learn about firearm safety, personal protection, and the recreational side of gun ownership. People are realizing after the uh, the riots throughout the summer of 2020 and how that police were pretty much handcuffed, use a uh, term, on, uh, on doing anything about it, folks realize that they are actually their own first responder and they need to... Uh, to be able to protect themselves and their families in case you get uh, any of these crazy nut jobs. Because evil exists out there, folks. And whether it's a gang, uh, a mob of Antifa or BLM members, uh, there's also just crazy people, drugs running around. You're the first responder and you must be able... See, let me, I guess, put it this way. A lot of you folks already know this. But the cops aren't going to be there till after the incident happens in most cases. They're there to follow up after the phone calls made. They're not there... To protect you, you know, I carry a gun because I can't carry a cop on my back. All right, I'm going to be able to protect myself or at least have that chance. Uh, I can at least even the odds if somebody attacks me or my family. That's why I do it. So with that amount of folks and the gun sales increasing, that's one of the reasons why I like to uh, to do some training sessions for people, and uh, we will be talking more about that uh, in in the future too. And my, my goal as a firearms trainer, as a USCCA instructor, is not to make ninjas out of folks or, you know, tactical banditos, whatever you want to call them. It's just to give people a basic overall orientation to the, to the proper 
ownership and use of a firearm, handling some of the the laws that will affect you. Of course, there's so many. Folks have to do a lot of their own uh, due diligence there. But there's certain things that I I just, uh, with new gun owners, I really like to help them kind of get oriented into it. It is actually a lifestyle and it doesn't come easy for a lot of folks. If you're afraid of it, then you probably shouldn't uh, engage in it until you until you do get more comfortable. You get somebody work with you, shoot, do a lot of training that way. But one of the things we typically teach, or I typically teach, and a lot of self-defense courses teach, and a lot of you folks have already heard this, but you know, like anything else, repetition drives it home. Repetition drives it home. And outside of just basic gun handling skills, another one of the first principles of carrying a gun, even even let's let's put it this way, let's not even say carrying a gun for self-defense, but just for self-defense personally, whether it's just avoiding danger or maybe you have a non-lethal form of self-defense, an item that I will highly recommend, matter of fact, I will put a link up at teampir.com for you to check these out. It's called the DAD2 device. It's a device uh, made by Tiger Light, and it's a very, very cool item. It's got a, uh, a self-defense spray in it. It's got a high-intensity LED flashlight, and it also has a GPS signal. So somebody that's looking for a non-lethal type of defense, this thing fits right in your hand. You can get the app for it and have that on your phone. If something happens where you need to you discharge that pepper spray into the face of an attacker or it could be a, a dog if you're riding your bike or hiking well, what that does then it will alert folks that have the app also you have a list of folks it could be your your mom your dad your husband your wife brother sister whatever it alerts them that you had to deploy that that uh, gas and it also puts your GPS location so that you can get help there right away. It's it's a it's a real without going into any more detail. It's a great device if you're looking for non-lethal. But th- that kind of came up sidetracked me a little bit. Colonel Jeff Cooper had taught stuff uh, years ago. He basically came up with a simple system for what we call quote unquote situational awareness, which means keep you know knowing what's going on around you. And every day, this is why I thought about this every day. I see folks jogging, walking, biking, even in their cars with earbuds and their phone in their face or texting or they're just listening and they have no idea what's going on around them. How many folks have you ever seen? How many people maybe step out in front of you on a curb because they're not even paying attention that they're walking in, in, uh, into an intersection or the folks that are or, the, or somebody's on their bicycle have no idea what's around them. And these people are what the criminals look for. They are the unaware. That's a perfect target. So that's what we call situational awareness is knowing what is going on around you at all times. And it doesn't mean that you're paranoid all the time or that, you know, you're always in fear of everything around you. It's just the best way. Even if you're driving, uh, let's just use that as an example, how many folks don't even realize what's going on around them in their vehicle? Either they're texting or on their phone or whatever they're doing. They blow the stop sign. They blow the red light. They get in the wrong lane, they swerve, and it's all because they're not aware of what's going on around them. So that's why his uh, Colonel Cooper's color system for firearms is, uh, is, is a critical thing, and it's a basic thing. And the four conditions are conditioned white, yellow, orange, and red. And pretty much what white is, it's when you're, ra- or you're relaxed and unaware of what's going on around you. Pretty much when you should be in situation white, you should be in condition white when you're at home. You get home. 
you're relaxed for the evening, you, you're, you're behind, you know, you're in the safety of your own place, then you can relax, kick your feet up a little bit, and you can go into condition white because, you know, the chances of something going on are pretty slim, okay? Now, condition yellow is when you can still be relaxed. This should be what, anytime you're out doing things, condition yellow is where you should be. You're aware of, of who and what is around you. It just means you're paying attention to stuff that's going on when you're uh, in just normal society doing things at work, at a restaurant, walking down the street. You're just aware of things that are going on. That's condition yellow. Nothing. You're just aware that things can happen. You can move on into condition orange, which is you've identified something of interest that you just may not, may or may not be a threat, but it makes you a little nervous. You see a certain person or, you know, you're walking into a certain area, maybe a dark area at the wrong time of night. What you want to do at that point is you just heightens your, your uh, awareness that you really need to be paying attention because something bad could happen. And if you're basically, if something would happen to you while you're in condition orange, you should be expecting it because you're aware that there could be a problem coming up. And condition red is is just, it's like, okay, danger's here. I have to do something. I need to turn up the heat here. I may need to draw my firearm. I may need to pull my pepper spray. I might need to do that. Now, condition red is not that, you're okay, we're just going to shoot a bad guy or anything like that. It's just that it changes your focus of your attention from a potential threat to a potential target, I guess is the way to put it. So now you've got to be completely, or it's, you're ready for action. That's what Condition Red is. And some trainers even try to add on the Cooper's Code by adding, they, uh, I've read some about what they call Condition Black, which is with dealing with the aftermath. But basically, you should just keep it simple. Keep the four codes. The aftermath is something you deal with on a, on a different level altogether. And we will discuss that at some point too. That Those are the four basic situational awareness conditions you ought to be in. White, when you're home, relaxed, not much going on. Anytime you're out in public, you ought to be in yellow, keeping an eye on, on what's happening. Know who's in, the, if you're sitting in a restaurant, know who's coming in the door. You know, you, uh, keep your head up. Is there somebody coming in? looks a little suspicious. You may be looking to get out the back exit as quick as possible because you don't know if they're going right up to the re- uh, register and, and, and rob the place. Well, I'll tell you what, let me let me just do it this way. I, I read uh, a while back, trainer uh, from Rangemaster, uh, Tom Gibbons, he has a site, rangemaster.com. He's a top-notch trainer, has been doing it for years. And he had a scenario I read once, which kind of shows you how you can start at one condition and elevate to the next condition and then come back to you know a lower condition after things calm down. And his illustration, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it here. It's say something like, say you were working in a jewelry store in a little small store, okay, in a strip mall. And other everybody else is out to lunch. You left. You're there alone. There's not even any customers in the store at the time. Now you can be in condition yellow. You're not. Uh, you're not home, so you're not in condition white. But you're in condition yellow, and you're just kind of keeping your head up, scanning. You know, looking to see if anybody's coming in the door. That that kind of stuff. And then say you look through the glass out the storefront. You see two men in their early twenties, and an old car pull up out front. They get out in jogging suits, maybe hoods. You know, that seems to be the thing. Wearing a hoodie anymore. They come in through and split up, okay? Now you should be going to condition orange almost immediately because something is strange here, something could happen. Uh, they've done nothing yet, nothing illegal, nothing aggressive, but they're out of place, and this looks like a holdup in the making maybe. And at this point, you may be thinking, I might have to do something, I might have to react to these, hurt these people, whatever it would be. Uh, what should I do now? Yeah, if things go bad, you drop behind the counter, you have a plan, okay? And at this point, you have to watch and continue to monitor their movements. If they leave, you de-escalate back to yellow when they're gone. And that's kind of how, how that all works. You you, start, you can start out in yellow, you escalate to orange, and if 
if there's nothing happens, you're, at least you were aware and you were ready to react. You maybe had a plan. And then as everything just turned out, nothing was wrong, back down to condition yellow. And now you're just back into your normal routine, just keeping an eye on things that way. But, you know, if they would say get together at the Farsight store and then maybe discuss what they've seen, maybe they're come in and, and uh, casing the, the uh, jewelry counter or uh, in front of you or the gun counter, whatever they're doing. And they move toward your position at the counter and try to distract you. Uh, they ask you, could they can, can I see that ring over there? Could I try that watch on? Blah, blah, blah. And maybe they pull their gun and announce a stick up. And if you've been using the, the uh, situational system, you went from yellow to orange when they come in. And now you should be in red as they approach your counter and you're ready to defend yourself at this point. And see, criminals have a, a, a unique way because it's how they, it's their lifestyle. They have a way of noticing or, or reading body language of people so if they know that you are prepared and you're not an easy target because you have escalated yourself to condition red, then a good chance that they're just going to say, no, nope, this isn't an easy target, hopefully, and they'll just simply leave. After they leave, then guess what? Then uh, as they drive away, you can de-escalate back to orange and back to yellow. But if they don't leave, they might be on drugs, drunk, both, who knows, fail to recognize your level of readiness. All right, they may not have realized that you ha you have actually you know, you've got them figured out that something's about to happen. They might actually go ahead and try to do their holdup. And once you're in condition red, it's time to react and you take whatever actions are necessary in that situation. So, and I just thought Tom's description of a scenario like that was a, was a real good example of going from yellow to orange to red, back to orange, back to yellow. And like I said, uh, anytime you're outside doing anything, even if you're mowing your grass in your backyard, you should be in condition yellow because you never know what's going on, especially today's crazy world. So that's just a couple things. We will be getting into more basic training stuff as we go. And, you know, as I mentioned, uh, condition black, let's just take that for a quick second here. And this will come up in another episode. But how many of you out there actually have a trauma kit that you keep with you maybe in your car or in your home? Because I tell you what, that, that is something that most people don't even think about, not just a regular first aid kit, not a couple band-aids, a couple aspirin, things like that. Do you have a basic trauma kit that might include like a tourniquets, chest seals, pressure bandages, things like that? And here's the thing. I carry one in my vehicle all the time. And I actually have a belt one that I can carry if I'm hunting or, or other things that I might be doing, other activities I might be doing. Because if I come across an accident somebody had on the highway or, God forbid, we're, me and my wife are in an accident, I might have, you know, and maybe a tourniquet is that thing that you can apply within the first couple minutes to save somebody's life from bleeding out before the actual EMTs get there. Having one available and knowing how to use it is, is just a tremendous little, they're not expensive. Uh, we'll go in later on uh, down the road about different places you can access them do uh, you can do some online search i'll throw a couple links up on the website but having a, a basic trauma kit can make the difference between life and death it doesn't have to be a gunshot it could be a bad accident it could be a fall it could be you know uh somebody falls out of a tree stand maybe sticks himself with a with an arrow if they're archery hunting and you're around there's just having one of those available like i said even in your vehicle to have with you so that you always have a, a way to respond in case of a traumatic incident you may save somebody's life so get one of those look at getting a, a uh, trauma kit. I have one also in, included in mine. I also have like CPR mask. I had a Red Cross training to do CPR and all that. So uh, things like that, you know, people, it's just good to have on you in today's society. You never know where you might run into a problem. You or somebody else have an accident. Like I said, it doesn't necessarily have to be for a gunshot. It could be for a for a vehicle, a bicycle, motorcycle, any type of a fall or injury. So consider, uh, I would highly recommend consider getting a trauma kit and, and learn how to use the basic uh, items that are in it. And the conditional, the situational color codes that I'm always have fun with that 
Next time you're out and about, just look at the folks walking or driving and just think, are they, what condition are they in? Most of them are conditioned white because they have no idea what's going on around them. And that's where the problems happen. So uh, just have a little fun with that. See the people walking down the street with their earbuds in and don't have a single clue. And another thing I like to do that's just kind of fun is I see them walking or jogging. And then I'm looking at all the brushes and shrubbery or buildings that uh, they go by where there could be a, a criminal folks evil exists and it's always looking for opportunity. But they'll either they'll go walking right by there not having a clue that there could be somebody tucked in behind that bush around that corner of that building and, and instantly they could be a victim of a crime. So that's just a couple areas, some food for thought. I'll be right back in just a minute. Chat about they're lying to you about masks. Let's take our country back. <laughs> How about it, you know? Uh, it's coming back up in the news. You see it already. It's about the masks, the masks and the vaccine. Hey, everybody, masks don't work, okay, as far as prevention of the spread of the virus. All right. I'm going to go over some stuff here for you. You can believe it. You cannot believe it. I'm not a doctor. You can take this information, do your research. But I threw the BS flag on the mass at the beginning because, well, even working with construction and from time to time, I've had to put a mask on maybe in a dusty drywall situation or even uh, fiberglass insulation. I might be working somewhere where, you know, you had those particles. But even then, I knew that they didn't work. Did they help? Yes. But those particles are a lot larger than the 0.125 micron particle size of, of the COVID. So they don't work. Of course, you know, we have a lot of quote unquote doctors out there who are, you know, even though they have the doctor in front of their name, I think one of his name is Fauci. Oh yeah. Yeah. him. Don't forget folks, when it comes to some of these 
these people, they're government bureaucrats. They're not, they may have an MD. Hey, Kevorkian had an MD after his name, if you recall. You want to take his advice too, I suppose. I don't know. But anyhow, en masse, it's about control. It is about control. It's, in all honesty, they're just trying to regenerate what they used to uh, take the uh, 2020 election coming up in in the 2020, or excuse me, the 2022 midterms and, and beyond, as long as they can keep people afraid, keep people locked into their homes, keep people, well, we've got to mail this in, we got to be over here. Now, personally, I'm a fan of social distancing. I was up for that before any of this crap was uh, was hip, but but it's about fear. If, if they can keep the population afraid of everything, of of other people, of being outside, of go- living your normal life as a free American, they're going to do it. And so many people shamefully bought into it over the past year that, you know, live your way. Hey, you do you. you you're afraid of everything. You want to stay home. I'm not anti-mask. Let me put that out there. I'm. If you want to wear a mask, fabulous. At least we know where you're at and we pretty much can figure out what side you're on. But hey, and, and if you, you have certain situations where you need one, fine. But the thing is, the science does not prove that it helps in stopping the spread of COVID. And this bowl that they're putting out now of making these young kids wear them, absolutely ludicrous. Just saw word that our local courthouse is now mandating if you go in there, now you must wear a mask. And nobody can explain why. They just say, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. You know, and that's all they're looking for. So, but here's a couple of things. I'm going to throw some information. I want the, these links will be on uh, teampir.com and also on politicallyincorrectredneck.com. Choose your site. Take you to the same place. Anyhow, th- this is an article that was published by the uh, place called the BMJ Open, which is a British medical journal. This was in 2015. This is April 22nd, 2015. And the article was titled A Cluster Randomized Trial of Cloth Masks Compared with Medical mass in healthcare workers. And uh, the objective of the study was to compare the efficacy of cloth masks to medical masks in hospital healthcare workers, which is uh, HCWs for future reference. The null hypothesis is that there's no difference between medical masks and cloth masks. All right. Now, uh, the results of their study, and they call it an influenza-like illness, an ILI, uh, the results were that the rates of all infection outcomes were highest in the cloth mask arm with the rate of ILI statistically significantly higher in the cloth mask arm compared with the medical mask arm. Cloth masks also significantly higher rates of ILI compared with the control arm. An analysis by mask use showed ILI and laboratory-confirmed virus were significantly higher in the cloth mask group compared to the medical mask group. And here's a big one at the end of this. Penetration of cloth mask by particles was almost 97% and medical mask 44%. So in other words, the cloth mask that you're buying off the store, the ones you're home making out of a bed sheet or an old pair of underwear or whatever you make your mask from, that's not going to stop the particles from getting through. The conclusion of this study, and there's a little bit more detail come up. The study is the first RCT of cloth mask, which is the custom randomized trial. And the results caution against the use of cloth masks. This is an important finding to inform occupational health and safety. Moisture retention, reuse of cloth masks, and poor filtration may result in increased risk of infection. This is 2015. 
They went on to say that they have provided the first clinical efficacy data of cloth masks, which suggests HCWs or healthcare workers should not use cloth masks as protection against respiratory infection. Cloth masks result in significantly higher of infection from, or excuse me, than the medical mask and also performed worse than the control arm. The physical properties of a cloth mask reuse the frequency and effectiveness of cleaning and increased moisture retention may potentially increase the infection risk for healthcare workers. The virus may survive on the surface of the face mask and modeling studies have quantified the contamination level of mask. Self-contamination, here we go, through repeated use and improper doffing is possible, messing with it, playing with it on and off. For example, a contaminated cloth mask may transfer pathogen from the mask to the bare hands of the wearer. We also showed that filtration was extremely poor, almost 0% for cloth masks. Observations during SARS suggested double masking, oh, doing the deuce, huh? And other practices increased the risk of infection because of moisture, liquid diffusion, and pathogen retention. These effects may be associated with cloth masks. So in other words, you wear two, you do the deuce, guess what? Your risk of go up of, of other issues and problems. Now, studies suggest medical masks may be protective, but the magnitude of difference raises the possibility that cloth masks have an increase in infection risk in healthcare workers. Given the obligations to healthcare worker occupational health and safety, it is important to consider the potential risk of using cloth masks. So if they are talking about the risk to healthcare workers, what about uh, Joe and Jean bag of donuts walking down the street with their ear pods in that aren't paying attention because they're in condition white when they're on the streets or in their car. In light of our study and the obligation to ensure occupational health and safety of healthcare workers, cloth masks should not be recommended for HCWs, particularly during AGPs and in high-risk settings such as emergency, infectious, respiratory disease, and intensive care wards. And they wrap this up basically by uh, stating that in the interest of providing safe, low-cost options in low-income countries, there is scope for research into more effectively designed cloth masks. But until such research is carried out, cloth masks should not be recommended. That's one study that you probably haven't read. Now here's another study from our good old CDC, April, or excuse me, May 5th of 2020. That's last year as the COVID was hitting, was on, on the increase. And the abstract they have here is that they review the evidence based on the effectiveness of non-pharmaceutical personal protective measures and environmental hygiene measures in non-healthcare settings and discuss their potential inclusion in pandemic plans. Although mechanistic studies support the potential effect of hand hygiene or face masks, evidence from 14 14 randomized controlled trials of these measures did not support a substantial effect on transmission of laboratory-confirmed influenza. Then they continue on about face masks, and it says here that the disposable medical masks, also known as surgical masks, are loose-fitting devices that were designed to be worn by medical personnel to protect accidental contamination of patient wounds and to protect the wearer against splashes or sprays of bodily fluids. There is limited evidence for their effectiveness in preventing influenza virus transmission, either when worn by the infected person person for source control or when worn by uninfected persons to reduce exposure. Our systematic review found no significant effect of face masks on transmission of laboratory-confirmed influenza. This is your wonderful and coveted government-run CDC report. And it says, although these measures have mechanistic support based on our knowledge of how influenza is transmitted from person to person, randomized trials of hand hygiene and face masks have not demonstrated protection against 
against laboratory-confirmed influenza. And we did not find evidence that surgical-type face masks are effective in reducing laboratory-confirmed influenza transmission, either when worn by infected persons or by persons in the general community to reduce their susceptibility. Again, that's the CDC. And here's another study, and this was released on June 1st of 2020, which was just last year, from the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. It was titled Mask Facts, and it says, note, a COVID-19 particle is 0.125 microns. Influenza virus is 0.08 microns. A human hair is about 150 microns, okay? So as they state in this study, let's say an N95 mask, a properly fitted N95 mask will block 90% of any tiny air particles down to 0.3 microns from reaching the wearer's face. 0.3. That's what the mask will block. Even these have problems. Many have exhalation valve for easier breathing and less moisture inside the mask. So the N95 is the higher end mask. Surgical masks, which is what you see most people outside of their homemade ones, uh, are designed to protect patients from a surgeon's respiratory droplets, aren't effective at blocking particles smaller than 100 microns. And what did I say that the, uh, the COVID uh, micron size was? Well, 0.0.125. For those who went to the public school system, that is smaller than 100 microns. So the surgical masks aren't effective at blocking particles smaller than 100. So how effective is that? And all of the cloth masks and materials had near zero efficiency at 0.3 microns, a particle size that easily penetrates into the lungs. Again, the COVID particle is 0.0.125. That is smaller than 0.3. Okay. And this is conclusion. Wearing masks will not reduce SARS-CoV-2. Cloth masks will be ineffective at preventing COVID transmission, whether worn as source control or as a personal protective equipment. Okay. And here's a, here's a note from it. Masks may confuse that message and give people a false sense of security. If masks had been the solution in Asia, shouldn't they have stopped the pandemic before it spread elsewhere? Because they wear masks a long time before this stuff came out. Penetration of cloth masks by particles was 97%. In medical masks, it was 44%. It's about fear about control, okay? And here's a little bit more of the study. It said here that known patients infected with COVID wore masks and coughed into a Petri dish. Both surgical and cotton masks seem to be ineffective in preventing dissemination of the COVID from the coughs of patients with COVID-19 to the environment and external mask surface. It didn't stop it. Okay. Advice to decision makers on the use of masks for healthy people in community settings like our courthouse. What a, oh boy, that's getting started, get me fired up there. A description above, the wide use of masks by healthy people in the community setting is not supported by current evidence and carries uncertainties and critical risks. This was released again, June 1st, 2020. And the organization said that we don't routinely recommend the use of face masks by the public to prevent respiratory illness. And we certainly are not recommending that at this time for this new virus. And this from the New England Journal of Medicine Quote, we know that wearing a mask outside healthcare facilities offers little, if any, protection from infection. Public health authorities define a significant exposure to COVID-19 as face-to-face contact within six feet with a patient symptomatic COVID-19 that is sustained for at least a few minutes and some say more than 10 minutes or even 30 minutes. The chance of catching COVID-19 from a passing interaction in a public space is therefore minimal. In many cases, 
the desire for widespread masking is a relative reaction to anxiety over the pandemic. Fear controlled. Keep those two words in the back of your head. No, keep it in the front of your head right there. Stamp it on your on your forehead backwards so you can read it in the mirror. Fear control. Fear control. And final thoughts from this study, surgical masks loose fitting. They are designed to protect the patient from the doctor's respiratory droplets. The wearer is not protected from other airborne particles. People do not wear masks properly. Most people have the mask under the nose. The wearer does not have glasses on and the eyes are a portal of entry. Yeah. Dr. Fauci remembers Remember when he wanted you to uh, wear goggles too, maybe? Yeah, maybe a space helmet. I don't know. The designer masks and scarves offer minimal protection. You know, go to Amazon and get yourself some. They give a false sense of security to both the wearer and those around the wearer. And they wrap this one up with, if wearing a mask makes people go out and get vitamin D, go for it. Because vitamin D is a preventative. Hydroxychloroquine and zinc and other things, okay? In the 1918 flu pandemic, people who went outside did better. Early reports are showing people with COVID-19 with low vitamin D, that comes from the sun if you go to basic middle school science okay do worse than those with normal levels perhaps that is why shut-ins do so poorly lockdowns not we could go on like this all day from what i've seen there's a lot more research that proves that masks don't work than prove that do and like i said they're lying to you about masks they're lying to you. Here's one from Breitbart, Edwin Morg, October 14, 2020. Last year after we had the full summer of shutdowns and masks and all that crazy, crazy nutty stuff. An overlooked study published recently by the U.S. Center for Disease Control. They're back. CDC suggests that cloth face mask coverings or masks are mostly ineffective in preventing the spread of Chinese coronavirus as promoted by public health officials. The CDC conducted a study largely ignored by the lying media, I added that part in, in the U.S. in July and made its findings public in September. It compared 154 case patients to those who tested positive for COVID-19 and a control group of 160 control participants, those who were symptomatic but tested negative. CDC researchers examined participants who reported wearing a cloth face covering or mask at least 14 days before illness onset. Okay, they wore it 14 days before, which falls in the incubation period of 2 to 14 days for the, for the COVID. The researchers found that 71% of the case patients contracted the virus despite reporting always wearing a cloth face covering or mask at least 14 days before the illness onset. And 14% contracted the virus despite reporting often wearing one at least 14 days before illness onset. That indicates 85% of the COVID-19 study participants contracted the virus even after either always 71% or often 14% wearing a face covering or mask, suggesting the masks are not entirely effective at preventing the spread of coronavirus. Additionally, the rate of COVID-19 patients who wore a mask mirrored the percentage of those who were showing symptoms but tested negative, suggesting the mask did little to protect those who did not test positive from the symptoms. Yep, another CDC study. Like I said, I could go on all day uh, with uh, with different examples of this. Like I said, I will have the links to all of these articles on the website. Here's one more. We'll wrap it up with this one. This was on June 30th of this year just a a little over a month ago, experimental assessment of carbon dioxide content in inhaled air with or without face masks in healthy children. You want to mask them up, right? Okay. And this was by uh, Harold Wallach, a PhD, 
and there's a whole list of them there. You can look that up. But anyhow, it starts out saying many governments have made nose and mouth covering or face masks compulsory for school children. The evidence base for this is weak. The question whether nose and mouth covering increases carbon dioxide in inhaled air is crucial. A large-scale survey in Germany of adverse effects in parents and children using data of 25,930 children has shown that 68% of the participating children had problems when wearing nose and mouth coverings. Most of the complaints reported by the children can be understood as consequences of elevated carbon dioxide levels in inhaled air. Carbon dioxide is to be exhaled if we remember back to our little science courses in, in junior high. Okay, this is because of the dead space volume of the mass, which collect exhaled carbon dioxide quickly after a short time. This carbon dioxide mixes with fresh air and elevates the carbon dioxide content of inhaled air under the mask, and this was more pronounced in this study for younger children. This leads to impairments suitable to hypercapnia, and hypercapnia is where there is too much carbon dioxide present in the bloodstream, and it gets symptoms or things like dizziness, headaches, shortness of breath. Actually, severe hypercapnia can be life-threatening if not treated, and it can cause symptoms such as seizures, panics, loss of consciousness, so on and so forth. So some of the results of, of the having this mask and, and inhaling your own carbon dioxide. And then they do a wrap here. It says, a recent review concluded that there was, a, there was ample evidence to adverse effects of wearing such masks. We suggest that decision makers weigh the hard evidence produced by these experimental measurements accordingly, which suggests that children should not be forced to wear face masks. Now, full disclosure, that study was in uh, July was redacted by JAMA Pediatrics, which is who the original study was, uh, was put out by. Uh, JAMA is a Journal of American Mental Association Pediatrics. So it was retracted, but here's the big part. The lead author of the study that found dangerously high levels of inhaled carbon dioxide in German mass school children is crying foul after the prestigious journal that published the study retracted it. Harold Walk told just the news that editors of the Journal of American Metal Association and JAMA Pediatrics did not tell him how he failed to provide, in the words of the retraction notice, sufficient, quote, sufficiently convincing evidence, unquote, in response to criticism of the study. And the doctor's quotes here, I would actually also like to see how those conclusions were reached, but I am afraid that there was no solid conclusion, he wrote in an email. The key phrase in the retraction notice was, quote, potential public health implications, unquote, which suggests, and he says here, the retraction was political because some people did not like our data. The truth tellers, the uh, Ministry of Truth, Jan Psaki, the White House, the media, big tech, there you go. Uh, folks, they're lying to you. Masks don't work. If you feel comfortable wearing one, wear one. They're lying to you. Fear and control. Fear and control. Here we go. It's now it's never. Well, that's enough ranting for today. I could do so much more, but man. Folks, let's take our country back. Let's go over. we got a little bit of stuff here on country music news, so uh, we'll have a little fun with it. Actually, on a personal note, country music, I'm going to get a chance to see my 
my good friend, Mr. Eddie Kilgowan, who I mentioned last time and who co-wrote a bunch of the uh, bumper music here with my, my producer in Nashville, Tom Payton. I'm going to get to see him at a show Montgomery Gentry now touring. Actually, Eddie Montgomery of Montgomery Gentry, the tour is pretty much named now. Uh, they're going to be in the area, and we're going to hook up with Eddie, get a chance to hang out with the band a little bit and, and have a good time at that show. So I'm looking forward to that. Hey, this is this is wild. Just yesterday, just yesterday, I got a check in the mail. I got a check in the mail from CD Baby, who distributes some of my CDs if they're not purchased off the website or so. Somebody, and, and now they've been there a long time. It's been 2009 since I released that CD, and somebody bought one, and I got a check. So I guess I'm rising on the charts again. Whoa, yeehaw. Sold one on CD Baby? That's cool to me. Uh, I'll take it. Why not? You know, a lot of good stuff. And if anybody's interested, my CD is available at politicallyincorrectredneck.com or teampir.com or jerrycountry.com. We've got some ball caps available. We are going to be having some Team PIR gear. It's in the making right now. So when that stuff becomes available, we will get uh, we'll get that online and get it uh, get the word out to you. And again, to, for the podcast, like I said, we're on Google Podcast the Podbean podcast app or website, Spotify, Amazon Music, Pandora, TuneIn, iHeart, eventually on iTunes, but uh, we're still dealing with that. But you can get my CD and my songs off of iTunes, so they're out there too. So anyhow, back to a little bit of country music kind of cool stuff. July 5th, this was, uh, I got, oh geez, a month's worth of of cool little things here. July 5th in 2003, on July 5th in 2003, Johnny Cash made his last ever live performance, and he appeared at the Carter Ranch, and before singing Ring of Fire, he read a statement about his late wife. They had written shortly before taking the stage, the spirit of June Carter overshadows me tonight with the love she had for me and the love I had for her. We connect somewhere between here and heaven. She came down for a short visit, I guess, from heaven to visit with me tonight to give me inspiration like she always has. And Cash died on September 12th of the same year. So there you go. And then uh, July 10th in 1991, Alan Jackson was at number one on the country charts with Don't Rock the Jukebox. And it was the lead single from that album. Uh, His second consecutive number one, Alan Jackson was hot back in the 90s. Uh, He received the ASCAP Award for Country Song of the Year in 92 and the same year. The song was covered, this is what I thought was cool, by Alvin and the Chipmunks, featuring commentary by Alan Jackson for their 1992 album Chipmunks in Low Places. Now, how cool is that? Boy, here's some, lots of Johnny Cash in the month of July. July 17th in 1958, Johnny Cash recorded his final sessions for Sun Records, recording the two tracks Down the Street to 301 and I Forgot to Remember to Forget. So that was 1958. Uh, Here's a cool one, 1975. In 1975, a Russian-language version of Conway Twitty's 1970 hit Hello, Darling was broadcast to a worldwide audience as part of the Apollo Soyuz Test Project. The song, which in Russian was called Private Rod Host, or Rad Host, or something like that, was seen as a gesture of goodwill from the Apollo crew to the Soviet Union Soyuz crew. Twitty had worked with a language professor from the University of Oklahoma to record the phonetic Russian version of the song. That's a cool deal. Uh, Here's Alan Jackson again July 17, 2015 released his 20th studio album Angels and Alcohol and it went number is 11th number one country album so Alan Jackson still hot 1981 oh, excuse me July 21 1961 Patsy Cline was brought on stage to the Grand Ole Opry in a wheelchair to tell her fans that she would be back singing soon. She was seriously injured in a car accident outside the Madison High School in Nashville the previous month. And if you've ever seen either of the two movies, uh, Sweet Dreams, which is Patsy Cline, a movie about Patsy Cline, great movie. And uh, 
coal miner's daughter uh, about Loretta Lynn. There's scenes about that crash in there. So in 1984, Jack Benny, who was Loretta Lynn's second child, which, like I said, if you see Coal Miner's Daughter, the name Jack Benny comes up in that movie. He was he died at the age of 34 while trying to ford the Duck River at the family's ranch in Hurricane Mills, Tennessee. Tragic, tragic. July 21, 2003, Brad Paisley released his third studio album, Mud on the Tires, which became his first U.S. number one country album. And it produced four hits uh, on the Billboard Top Country Singles, as well as the number one title track. Brad's, Brad's a good dude. Met Brad. Matter of fact, it was about two years ago, my lovely bride and I were out at Dodger Stadium to do a bucket list to uh, see the Los Angeles Dodgers play in Dodger Stadium. Sure enough, wasn't Brad Paisley and his dad there at that same game. So that was kind of cool. Then on July 24, 1948, American country icon uh, Roy Acuff. He announced his intention to run for governor of Tennessee. That's in 1948. Running on, as a Republican candidate, he later lost to Democrat candidate Gordon Browning in the November election. He gave her a shot. Uh, here we go. Cash again, July 24th, 1958. Johnny started recording session for his third album, The Fabulous Johnny Cash. It was released in November of uh, 1958 by the Columbia label after his departure from Sun, which we had just mentioned a little bit ago. So here's one that's kind of fun. 1980, the Urban Cowboy soundtrack was certified platinum. The double album featured Ann Murray, Kenny Rogers, Eagles, Johnny Lee, Mickey Gilly, Bonnie Raitt, Linda Ronstadt, and J.D. Souther, Jimmy Buffett, and the Charlie Daniels Band, and others. The film is said to have started the 1980s boom in pop country music known as Urban Cowboy Movement, also known as Neo Country or Hill Boogie. And uh, another personal note, uh, back in the early 80s, a friend and I, we actually had to make a trip to Texas, so one of the places I went to, we did go to the original Gillies down there in Pasadena, Texas, before it burnt down, and uh, it was a cool place. After that movie, we had to go in and see the bull and where all that movie had been filmed. Really cool place, and they sold beer, so everything was good. Then uh, in 1968, Johnny Cash again on July 29th, number one on the U.S. country charts with Folsom Prison Blues, 1968, a timeless song. He was inspired to write the song after seeing the movie Inside the Walls of Folsom Prison while serving in West Germany in the United States Air Force. And just a couple more here. August 3rd, 1999, Patsy Cline received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Prior to her death at the age of 30 in a private plane crash, she was at the height of her career. Could you imagine that, that, that young? She's considered to be one of the most influential, successful, and acclaimed female vocalists of the 20th century. Some of the more notable hits she had during her lifetime began in 1957 with Don Hake's Walking After Midnight, Harlan Howard's I Fall to Pieces, and Hank Cochran's She Got You, Willie Nelson's Crazy, and ended in 1963 with Dawn Gibson's Sweet Dreams. She had a tremendous voice. Here's just two more real quick. Johnny Cash, 57, 1957, August 3rd. Yeah, Johnny Cash completed recording sessions for his debut album. Now, this is pretty amazing. Uh, the title of the, cat, of the album was Johnny Cash with his hot and blue guitar. The album contained four of his hit singles, I Walk the Line, Cry, 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 so Doggone Lonesome and Folsom Prison Blues. This was the first LP ever issued on Sam Phillips' Sun record label. What a way to start a record label. At least three of those are immortal songs that will live on forever in country music. That's just, I mean, that's an incredible thing just on the same album, his first one even. And in 1969, the same day in 1969, Johnny was at number one on the U.S. country charts was at San Quentin, and it was a recording of the live concert that he gave to inmates at San Quentin State Prison. The album was nominated for a number of Grammy Awards, 
including Album of the Year and won Best Male Country Vocal Performance for A Boy Named Sue. So there's just a couple great uh, tidbits of trivia to wrap up the show for today. As always, you know, you can find me in all the, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. And there's uh, always check in on teampir.com. Send me an email. For that matter, sign up for the email alerts as we make things more available or have events coming up. We will be send, we will send out emails. We don't do anything with your email address ourselves other than use it for our personal communications. Feel free to contact me there, politicallyincorrectredneck.com, redneck nation.us whatever you prefer and uh, we're going to be out there we're going to be back hopefully it won't be so long in between now but hit one of those podcast sites please uh, subscribe to it on on whatever whether it's spotify or podbean or google any way that you want to sign up for it or hit the like button one way or another and if you do like it share with folks we appreciate uh, having some new people come in like i said we're just uh, getting started we're going to hopefully polish our craft up here a little bit as we go and like i said feel free to give us some feedback or give me some feedback and um, we'll uh, we'll chat with you all later. Hope you had a good time today, and uh, look forward to hearing from you soon. Please tell me out, tell me what's the easy way to say kiss my well, I wonder who these people are that sit around all day making up this list of words we can and cannot say. They got everybody thinking that we should be. First Amendment, and I know my rights, y'all. Call me simple-minded, well, ain't that what you expect from this free-thinking, bear-drinking, politically incorrect?